Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Good morning, everybody. It's so good to have you here at Graceland Church. Uh, Thank you, worship team, for blessing us. It's nice to have the auxiliary in the house. Beautiful. Come on, give them a hand. They're serving us really well. Do come out tonight. Uh, You know, it's one thing to worship here on Sunday morning. Beautiful. Stay committed to it. But there's nothing like spending a couple hours just in the presence of the Lord. Prayer, worship. Uh, Please come. 5 to 7 p.m., uh, for your, bring a journal, bring your Bible, expect to hear God speak. Uh, we're going to have our old friend Nick Gonzalez in the house with us. He's going to be leading with our team too. And James is going to be leading. My wife's going to lead some. The, the full band is going to be up. We just purchased a drum shield for our drums, by the way, so that we can control uh, the sound in here a little more that'll be installed soon. And I think going forward, we've been talking about this as a staff, rather than do the baptisms over there on baptism Sundays, I believe we're gonna put it like right here and reorganize some of the chairs in the middle. It's gonna be really, really beautiful. I think we're gonna, baptisms are October 1st coming up. So if you've not been baptized, uh, let us know. You can also sign up using the connection card. And tonight, uh, just to emphasize again, uh, you know, one encounter with the living God can change everything in your life. And so don't minimize uh, what it is to just come and spend time at the feet of Jesus. And it is also our youth service for the night because our youth meets on Sundays from five to seven. So let me talk to you adults. Last thing I wanna do is get our youth all excited about an all church prayer and worship night and then our adults don't show up. So show up for their sake too. Come and worship and show them what it is to pray and seek the Lord and youth, come on out. It is gonna be a really beautiful time. We're gonna pray from the older generation over the young. We're gonna pray from the younger generation over the new. We're gonna pray for God to meet needs in your life, to heal you, for him to speak to you. I'm really, uh, really excited about it. And let me get this out of the way so it doesn't distract you. I realize I'm wearing a coat today. And um, I've had a lot of people ask, because I generally don't wear a coat. I have one suit that I wear for weddings and funerals. And I'm not exaggerating. This coat I have had for about 20 years. And the last time I wore it was over 16 years ago when I was trying to woo my wife. We were dating then, and I went to her college, which was Valley Forge Christian College outside of Philadelphia for some event at the school, and I wore this coat. And I remember just thinking I didn't look very good in it, so I never wore it again. And last night, I was rummaging through the bottom of my closet. I was like, man, I gotta wear something fresh. I wear the same stuff all the time. You know that feeling? Like I just, I'm letting my church down, I think. I I just wear the same like five shirts and I rotate them. And I found this down there. I looked at it, I smelled it. It passed the smell test. I tried it on and I was like, it doesn't look that bad now, probably because I gained 15 pounds. And and so I'm wearing my coat today. Um, You're welcome. Thank you, thank you. Uh, shout out to Brian Spatz for bringing a great message last week. He's here. Thank you, Brian, for blessing us. Uh, Brian's an ordained pastor in the Assemblies of God as well, and we've become good friends. He's part of our church family here. And um, shout out to Jaron, who led worship last week beautifully as well. Uh, my family was away uh, for my wife's little sister's wedding. So she has three younger siblings. That was the last one to get married. I've officiated all those ceremonies. And on this particular one, I was officiating. My wife and my two oldest daughters were bridesmaids. And my third daughter was a flower girl and my son was a ring bearer. So um, we did not get paid enough. I'll just put it that way for that one. And I'm just kidding. If any family is watching, we don't charge. 
um, it was a beautiful time. We were celebrating, but it was a Saturday night wedding, so we had to miss uh, for the weekend. And it was up in the rolling hills of Pennsylvania. So we, we shot up 10 hours there, 10 hours back after the wedding. But it was gorgeous, high up this incredible wedding venue. And my five-year-old son, if you don't know him, um, he's obsessed with being fast. And everything in his life right now is whether he's faster than someone else or not. It doesn't matter their age, he's trying to beat me. I'm like, dude, it's gonna take you a while to beat me. And I remember waiting for the day that I was, could be faster uh, than my dad. And Clay, at the wedding, I'm not exaggerating, I was like, I'm not gonna race you up here because we're on a hill and you could roll down the hill and there are cow pastures all around with like electric fence. So if you roll, you're gonna hit an electric fence. But he literally came up to me all night pointing out other kids, like like distant cousin type kids at the wedding and saying, hey, I just raced him, I'm faster than him. And I'm like, okay, that's great, son. And then he's like, see that kid right there? He's a little older, he's, he beat me, he's pretty fast. I'm like, all right, all right, son. He's just like, his whole life is like locked into that right now. And he's making me remember myself. I remember being a little kid and, you know, a lot of people when they're really young think they're super fast because you don't meet any really fast people yet. And he's pretty fast. I was pretty fast as a young kid, and like up until middle school, I was always one of the fastest. Then I started getting crushed. You guys, you guys know when you finally meet that person that is just like, like that many levels better? It was like in seventh grade for me, there was this kid who just, I couldn't even touch him, and I was like, I think I'm gonna become an artist. My dream of being a track star <laughs> is over. And that's a true story, but I, re I remember the names of like kids in second grade that were my running rivals. Matt Green, second grade. He was the other kid. It was between me and him every recess. Who's gonna, who's gonna like look the best in front of the girls by winning the race? I mean, I just remember that. And it leads into uh, the title today, which is The Trap of Comparison. We actually learn to compare and envy really young. And that's why I share the story about, about me and my son. And sadly, we often bring it into our adulthood though. We actually live in a culture of comparison. We, it's all around us all day, every day. And it, it should help us to realize that's not new. It's, it's, it's a sin as old as time. Look at 2 Corinthians. This is written 2000 years ago. It says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. So scripture is just very clear. It's not wise to live a life of comparison. It goes back thousands of years before that too with Cain and Abel. And we're gonna look at that story a little bit later today, but look at these definitions. Comparison, looking to the left and looking to the right to determine how well I'm doing based on how well everyone else is doing which leads to envy. I have three different definitions of envy I'm gonna share with you. A feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or blessing. Number two, wanting what someone else has and resenting them for having it, so it gets even a little uglier. And then worst of all, having sorrow over someone else's good. That's where it ultimately leads you. And scripture tells us really clear in Proverbs 14.30, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. What we're talking about today is a really big deal. Comparison and envy will set a trajectory in your life that does not end well. And we're in the middle of this series through the Gospel of John. 
Two weeks ago, I shared about the death of Jesus in John chapter 19. You can go back and listen. So that is where we ended and the message was called, It's Not Over Yet. And we sat with that and we let our hearts be filled with hope. And actually, before we really look at the resurrection, we're kind of pausing today for what might seem initially kind of comical to you. It does to me, but we're gonna learn a lesson from it. So this is a high stakes moment for the disciples of Jesus. They all ran for the hills. He was crucified. He was buried. Some of them denied him. Peter cursed the air and denied ever knowing Jesus. And it's in the next chapter, the last of this book that Peter gets restored. But let's start reading in John 20 verses one. Early on the first day of the week, that's Sunday morning. It was Friday that Jesus was killed. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. And by the way, that's John, the author of this book, referring to himself as the one Jesus loved. He does that all throughout this book. And, and, and Mary Magdalene said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So at this point, they're thinking someone rolled away the stone in front of this tomb, went in and stole the dead body of Jesus. So it's a very intense moment. And in verse three, it says, so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. So we're gonna pause there. And don't worry, next week and in the weeks following, we're gonna go fully into the incredible resurrection of Jesus and, and finish out this text. But we're gonna look at something that might seem a little silly, but it's part of our human nature, leads to a very negative place. It actually can destroy us and it needs to be examined. And it starts with a comical principle, number one in your notes. Amidst the news of the resurrection of Jesus... John was also focused on being a faster runner than Peter. I mean, think about it. He's the one writing this book. He's recalling this moment that was absolutely incredible. They don't know what's happening with Jesus. And he just puts the little side note in, by the way, I beat Peter there. I got to the tomb first. This whole Jesus thing is great. I'm the fastest disciple. He doubles down and says it again. And what's also amazing to me is that God allowed this to be part of the inspired word of God. I bet you there was more stuff like this that the Holy Spirit was like, nope, we're just Xing that out as the writers were sort of like, nope, we don't need that little you know, dialogue about you in there. But this is here. And I think part of the reason it's here is because what we're gonna look at in a moment in the next chapter, the stakes get a lot higher about the comparison trap. Before we get to that though, look at the commentary from David Guzik, who he has a great commentary, by the way, that I recommend. If you're ever looking to study scripture deeper, or if you're ever just have run into big questions in scripture, which happens all the time for pastors too, a great commentary that I think is pretty trustworthy is called the Enduring Word Commentary. And you can Google it, it's all free online. And it's by David Guzik. And he just pulls a lot of great resources together and speaks to all the different things throughout the entire Bible. And he said this, John was humble enough to avoid the mention of his own name. 
He always referred to himself in the third person somehow, like the one that Jesus loved. But he was competitive enough to tell us that he outran Peter to the tomb. And I just want to clarify, I don't think there's anything wrong with competition. You know, a lot of us will watch football today. I'll watch football, and that's fine. Competition is fun. My, we, we were at sports games all day yesterday with a bunch of my kids and their friends and people from our church. Competition is fun, uh, but, but comparison and figuring out who you are based on comparison is entirely different than friendly competition. And we actually have to be careful with competition too, especially how we, uh, how we think about how we're shaping generations that come after us. But the disciples, they made this comparison mistake more than once. Just a few chapters ago, they were arguing about who was gonna be greatest in the kingdom of heaven in front of Jesus. And their moms even got involved. Their moms were trying to get Jesus to assure that their son would get to be at the right hand of Jesus in, in the heavenly realms. And, and Jesus is like, what? This is not what the kingdom of God is about. It's about serving one another and your servant will be the greatest. And, and I think there's a reason that these are included in the scripture. It can seem kind of harmless, but let's look at what happens in the next chapter, verses 18 through 22 of John 21. This is right after Jesus reinstates Peter. So Peter's restored. And Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Now pause there. Jesus is giving incredible revelation to Peter about how Peter was also gonna be martyred for his faith. And, and church history, you know, we believe Peter was also crucified, hence his arms stretched out in a way that he didn't want. So it was a powerful and sobering revelation from Jesus, God in the flesh, to Peter. And then look in verse 20. Peter then turned and saw that the disciple who Jesus loved, John, was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Now pause there. Just think about the moment. This is what the comparison trap does to us. It leads us down a road that even when we are face to face with Jesus, speaking to us, incredible revelation about our life. After being restored after failure, Peter is right there. And his first human inclination is to go, whoop, what about him? Whoop, what about him? What about her? What about that family? What about this job? This is how many of us live the majority of our lives, thinking what about them? And look at Jesus' response in verse 22. He answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. I love how Jesus used this incredible example. I mean, basically he's saying, if I want John to never die, and stay alive until my second coming, don't worry about it. Hey, that'd be great for John, but it's not your business. You must follow me. And there's a principle that we learn from Jesus' response here, and it's confirmed all throughout scripture, and it's number two in your notes. When you put your focus on God's blessing in someone else's life, you miss God's blessing in your own life. And you can change the word blessing to a lot of other words in that same sentence. For instance, purpose. When you put your focus on God's purpose in someone, I'm sorry, when you put your focus on God's purpose in someone else's life, you miss God's purpose in your own life. When you put your focus on God's promise in someone else's life, you miss God's promise in your own life. Jesus had just given incredible revelation to Peter. And when you put your focus on God's revelation in someone else's life for them, you miss God's revelation in your own life. Don't raise your hand, but have you ever done this? 
I know the answer, it's yes. You've all done it. Some of you have been doing it this morning. Some of you live in this place. Some of you are absolutely, and I'm talking to myself, I'm not trying to preach down to you, but some of us get absolutely consumed with the promise, the story, the revelation, the blessing of God in everyone else except us. And we miss everything he has for us. Um, Elon Musk, I know this is a weird segue, but Elon Musk said it this way about social media. Instagram, or all social media, can make people seem better looking and happier than they really are. Seeing attractive and happy people on social media can make people think, I'm not that good looking and I'm not that happy, so I must think. Some wisdom from the Musk man. It's part of our enemy's strategy. You might not think about this often, or maybe you think about it too much, I don't know, but there's an enemy of your soul, and his mission is, is made known to us, John 10. John 10, 10. The thief comes only to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal from you. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. It's Jesus that has come that you may have life and have it to the full. Now think about it. The enemy of our soul, his native tongue, scripture tells us, is lying. All he can do is lie. He accuses you before God day and night. He also, by the way, accuses others to you all the time. He tries to get you to compare yourself and also to think negatively about others constantly. He was kicked out of heaven because he wanted to be God. In other words, he compared himself to God and said, I can be my own Lord and King and deserve all the glory. And he was cast down from heaven like lightning along with a third of the angels that became demons. Doesn't it make sense that one of this enemy's primary strategies would be suck us into his own delusion and become obsessed and forever trapped in comparison and envy? That's part of what he does. And at least to number three, comparison is a trap the enemy uses to make you either discontent or arrogant, discouraged or prideful. You don't start life discontent. You have to develop discontentedness. You also don't start life arrogant. You have to develop arrogance. It's similar to how we as parents tragically watch our kids develop insecurity. They don't have it at some point, and then they do. You parents, you know what I'm talking about? It's the same for us, and it comes through comparison. All of us, to some degree, on a regular basis, have some people in or around our lives that we think are better than us and others that we think are worse than us. And the ones that we think are better, usually it makes us feel terrible about ourselves if we compare ourselves to them. It fosters discontent in us. And then the ones that we think are worse than us or further behind than us, it makes us feel arrogant or it makes us feel prideful. So that's why I like Andy Stanley's quote, there's no win in comparison. It either makes you prideful or discouraged. It is a ploy of the enemy. And, and that's why things like social media that surround us with other people's lives constantly and even entertainment and everything Hollywood is always uh, pumping out. And I, I like media. I love film. I love storytelling. I've pastored in LA for years and I have tons of friends who do that vocationally. And, and, and we've got to do a better job at telling stories. But, but the way we do it and the way we let ourselves consume it can feed into the comparison trap. Sometimes you're starting your day off great and then you just come across something on a show, on a screen, on your phone or something at work. And why all of a sudden are you so discontent? What happened? Usually if you trace it back, you played the comparison game somewhere. Or why all of a sudden are you feeling so arrogant and self-righteous and prideful? Oh, comparison trap somewhere. It's a trap either way. 
It goes back to Cain and Abel, as I mentioned. They were the brothers of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, the first to ever exist. Cain and Abel are born. They both brought an offering before the Lord. Abel's was accepted because he brought his offering by faith. Cain's was not accepted. Cain got angry about it. Cain tried to make an excuse before God about it. God even gave Cain a chance and said, Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? He said, sin is crouching at your door, Cain. If you don't master it, it will consume you. It will devour you. And Cain, instead of focusing on himself before the Lord, humbling himself and bringing a gift before the Lord in faith, instead he let bitterness take root. He became increasingly jealous and angry until he became a murderer and killed his own brother. That's where comparison and envy take you. That's the only place. It also happened with King Saul. He was the anointed by God, king of Israel. He was a good king and God was blessing him until this little boy came around that God called to be the next king, the shepherd boy, David. And everybody started singing a different song. Uh, Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. Saul didn't like that. Saul clearly was not secure. Saul became angry. Scripture says that from that day on, Saul kept his eye on David. And by the way, that's a good litmus test that you're failing and giving into the trap of comparison. If there's anyone in your life that you just keep your eye on, that's not good. Unless it's to learn and grow and they encourage you, right? Saul kept his eye on him until it came to the point that Saul became an attempted murderer. Multiple times he tried to kill David. He became threatened to the point that Saul's life ended in suicide. Envy and comparison rot away at the bones. And it leads to number four, a tragically true principle. Comparison is a trap the enemy uses to rob you of relationships that are meant to help you. It robs you. Think about King Saul again. I think the story could have been different. King Saul, if he wasn't insecure, could have delighted in young David. He could have enjoyed David being part of his kingdom. He could have learned from David's strengths. He could have invested wisdom into young David. He could have supported him. He could have seen his role as, oh, this is amazing. God has shown me who the next king is gonna be. Let me do everything I can to set him up and make him successful and flourish and grow. You get what I'm saying? Saul could have done that, but he didn't. And we will be faced with the same kind of things. Who got hurt in that situation, David or Saul? I mean, David got hurt a little bit too because he had to deal with those battles all the time, but he still ended up king. Who got really hurt? Saul. Comparison and envy don't hurt or destroy anybody but us. There's not even any temporary reward for it. It's miserable from beginning to end. Some sin is like pleasing for a season. Comparison and envy, not even pleasing for a season. It's awful. Why do we do it? I don't know. Sinful nature. Saul could have learned the principle that people are gifts and not threats. Now I want to give a clarifying note there. Sometimes abuse is a reality and people are a threat. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in general. I'm talking about when we start seeing people as threats just because we're playing the comparison game. My dad always told me growing up, Nathan, never forget. And it's it's funny, I'm realizing now why my dad told me this all the time because I was probably like little clay, obsessed with being the fastest all the time. And and my dad probably saw that in me. This is one of the things I remember him telling me more than anything. He was like, hey, Nathan, don't forget, um, there's always gonna be lots of people in life that are better than you at everything that you do. Sounds like a discouraging thing for a dad to say. He wasn't as much like, go chase your dreams, Nathan. He was like, there's gonna be better people. He's like, nice job, son. He also told me, Nathan, any, any headlines ever written about you, put them in the dung file. He used to always say that. 
He said, Nathan, don't forget, whatever they say now, it's gonna end up on the bottom of the birdcage catching bird poop. Like, these are my dad's wisdom sayings for me. <laughs> Thanks, dad. <laughs> now I can see myself saying those same things to my little boy. When you don't see people as gifts, you inevitably see them as threats. You're competing all the time. You're not celebrating. You, you don't have gratitude. I had to learn this lesson young as a pastor because and I'm still learning it, by the way, but pastors spend time together. I, th I think it's a good thing. Some don't, and it's a giant mistake. I've always leaned into fellowship with pastors. I'm a part of the church in our city, right? We're, we're co-elders of the body of Christ in this area. So I'm good friends with all these pastors around here. We spend time together. We pray together. It also means when, when church members like bounce around or, or, or do crazy things or want to bash another pastor, if someone comes to me and it's like bashing Pastor Darren Tyler across the street at Conduit, I'm like, oh, Darren and I, we talked last week. He's my friend, so that's not gonna work with me. You know what I mean? Like people get the cue quick. Like we're, we're on the same team and that's how we treat it. But because of that, I'm, I'm in spaces all the time with other ministers. Um, and in my younger years, it used to be hard for me because I, would, I, I delighted in it in one sense, but I also wondered how I was measuring up, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Why am I maybe not as good as this pastor? Or why is her team going this wonderfully? Why is this church going so great? Why is this happening? And why is it maybe not happening for me? And, and if you're not careful, this is, I think, why people, one of the reasons people can develop social anxiety. How do I, how do I connect with this person or that person? I mean, all the different things that can fill our heads. And, and God gently rebuked me all these years ago and started speaking to me about, hey, these pastors around you are not threats to you. They're gifts to you. They're meant to be in your life. Like, like, lean into these relationships. They're gonna help you. These pastors are answers to your prayers. Like, actually, like, share your life with people and, and get over yourself, basically. You know, you're, you're part of this thing. And interestingly, this is what I'm encouraging in Clay. I'm sorry to talk about Clay a lot, but um, I'm gonna owe him a lot of money because the rule in our family is if I talk about them, I give them a dollar every time I talk about them in every sermon. This is like his third or fourth dollar in this just one sermon. And I did the same thing in the first service, so he's getting loaded, but... Just yesterday, I was so proud of him. He, he's been playing soccer and he's so aggressive with it. And at this age, they don't really know how to play soccer. They just go for the ball, get it and go to the goal. You know what I'm talking about? And he's, and he's been aggressive with it. But so we've been trying to teach him what you wanna do is think about the whole field, think about where your teammates are and pass the ball to your team and like set things up. Trying to teach him how the game actually works just a little bit because these are like five and six year olds. And uh, so it's, it's gotten in his head now. And yesterday, multiple times, he got to the ball and he could have literally just run, but he like passed it either sideways, a lot of times even backwards to a teammate. And I was so proud of that. And sometimes that teammate knew what to do with it. Sometimes they didn't. And, and, and when they didn't know what to do with it and like lost it right away, Clay would look at me like, what? And I'm like, it's all right. Like, it's all right. He does his face. He's like, dad. You know what I mean? And, but here's the thing. Sometimes it worked and they scored a goal. And, and so what we want to affirm in him is not him being aggressive and he has to do everything, but him being part of the team. And that's who we are. We're the body of Christ. And we're also the team of humanity, right? And the healthy shift in all this is less thinking about just yourself, but here's what we're a part of. And therefore, life is a celebration, not a competition. And people are gifts, not threats. At one point, I compared myself very deeply to a pastor friend of mine, and God really convicted me over it. This is 15 years ago. I've shared this before, but it bears repeating. I was starting to let this really get into me, and I just felt like he was so much better than me, right? And you apply this to your work. Maybe you think some other parent out there is way better than you or just person or someone in your field or career. 
Or if you're in school, maybe it's just someone in seventh grade that you just feel like is crushing it as a seventh grader. You're like, why? Why are they so awesome? You know that feeling? This is how I felt about that pastor. He was also my friend and I was learning from him. He's a mentor, but I was also dealing with this thing inside. Why is he so stinking awesome? Like, why is he so smart and anointed and humble and preach so good, like all the stuff? And uh, why is he so fruitful, God? Like, what's wrong with me? And uh, God eventually was like, hey, Nathan, I felt this from the Lord in my like, spirit. I didn't hear an audible voice, but I felt God be like, Nathan, you can either, you can try to run someone else's race at someone else's pace and destroy yourself and hurt everyone you love. Option number one. Basically, if you try to be that guy, that's not your race, that's not your pace, and you're gonna hurt yourself. You're gonna destroy yourself and you're gonna hurt your family. Because when you're comparing yourself, you're not very good at what God's actually put in front of you. You guys know what I'm talking about? You, miss, you start missing the blessing all around you. And the, but then God said, or you can run your race at your pace and have life to the full and bless everyone around you. And I'm like, all right, I'll try that. Like, help me, lead me in the way everlasting, Lord, I repent. Comparison doesn't work. And, and the antidote, here's where we're gonna close. What do we do with this? Because I think the more honest with yourself, the more you dig down and are reflective, the more you're gonna realize how much comparison has been part of your life. And therefore, how much, the enemy has been successful in getting us to believe lies, right? I heard someone say recently, Jesus said the truth will set you free. Therefore, if we're still in bondage, there's some lie we're still believing, right? And I think the comparison trap is one of the primary lies that gets lodged so deep down in us, even among siblings, among, you know, deep, deep, deep in there. And it's, it's as old as time. And Jesus gives us the answer. And here's what we're gonna close with. Look again at verse 21. When Peter saw John, again, he's had this wonderful encounter with Jesus. And he says, Jesus, what about him? And Jesus says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. So here in the words of Jesus is the antidote number five. The antidote to a life of miserable comparison is living a life that declares I must follow Jesus. That's it. I must follow Jesus. When you make this declaration and begin to live it, you are free to celebrate others. You're free to be grateful for others. You're free to lift others up. You're free to enjoy life. I sure do hope I'm the kind of pastor that delights in young men and women in our church that are insanely more gifted than me at things. I hope I make that shift healthy and I delight in, and I hope you guys will join me. May we be the kind of church for you middle-aged and up folks out there. May we be the church that says, this is the church for these young people now. And we wanna lift you up. We wanna equip you in your gifts. We want to serve you. We want to get out of the way and let you run this race and, and not be threatened. How ridiculous, right? What an embarrassing way to end. And so I just... I'm just not gonna do that. And, and I have enough people in my life that will smack me around if I start like acting like that a little bit. And let's just not do that together. And let's just say, I must follow Jesus. And this even applies to when you've been hurt. I got hurt by some people this year pretty badly. And here's the thing. It's not my job to focus on what their story is going to be, period. It's not my job to focus on what God will or won't do in their life. If I ever say to the Lord, what about them? He responds to me just like Peter. What is that to you? If I wanna bless them, if I, want to, if I want them to take over the world, what is that to you? You must follow me, period. All of a sudden we can be free. Justice, mercy, and grace are all the Lord's, period. I love studying 
what people think and say on their deathbeds. I know that can sound morbid. I think it's just really powerful. There's nothing more clarifying than being at the very end of your life, I think, other than just being in the presence of the living God. I mean, there's nothing more clarifying than encountering the, the Lord. Uh, I have friends that are hospice chaplains, and I love talking to them about stories they're encountering uh, just being with people who are dying all the time. And I've read a few books on it. And one of the leading things that people say right before they die is that they regret that they weren't more themselves. In other words, they became too consumed with comparison or what others thought and to some degree missed their own story, missed their own purpose, missed the wonder, missed the joy. And I think we just can help ourselves by reminding ourselves, what is that to me? None of that matters. I must follow Jesus. And so what I wanna invite you to do this morning is repent. And repent is not a dirty word, it is a gift. Repent means to be, means change the way you think. Repent before the Lord. Ask for a renewed mind. Say, I am sorry, Lord, for just being consumed with comparison, consumed with envy, consumed with thinking about what others think about me, what I think about others. And I'm praying that today you can lay the burden down and take another step into the, the light life, the life of joy that Jesus invites you to. And as the worship team comes up, I'm gonna share one last story out of scripture. In the Garden of Eden, remember how there was Adam and Eve, right? You guys tracking with me? Adam and Eve were, were the first two. And God told them, you can do anything in this garden. Just live it up. I mean, they were, this was pre the fall of man. This is pre-sin. What a gift. Um, they weren't even wearing clothes. They had no shame. They were, they were tending to the land. They were doing beautiful, joyful work. I mean, it was like the dream. I mean, they were just, it was incredible. And he said, don't do this one thing. Don't eat the fruit off this tree. And as you know, the serpent comes in, um, they get deceived. There's all kinds of things that happen and they eat the fruit of the tree. And therefore, shame and sin enter the picture for the first time. They realize they're naked. They cover themselves up and they hide from God. By the way, hiding from God is, is a symptom of shame and sin. You never hide from God. Bring yourself into the light. They were hiding from God. And, and that encounter that God has with Adam for the first time, something happens that was so powerful that I think applies to this message. And I feel like it's a word from God for some of you today. And it's this, God's like, Adam, where are you? What are you, what are you doing? And, and Adam kind of tries to, he a little bit like denies it. And then he does what we all do at first. He tries to blame his wife. He says, this woman you gave me made me do it. Let me just say, dudes out there, if you're married, never say, God, this woman you gave me made me do it. <laughs> like, like man up and take some ownership. You know what I mean? And, and same, same vice versa to, to the women. Don't, don't just say, this dude you gave me made me do it. I mean, it's like blame is the enemy of growth always. And there's always fault all, all around and there's all kinds of problems. I'm not talking about abuse situations. Blame is always the enemy of growth though. And, but here's the thing I wanted to point out. Um, Adam says, we're naked. We're, we're hiding, we're naked. We have to cover ourselves. And then God says something so incredibly profound. He says, who told you you were naked? Who told you that? Why are you believing that? And I just think that the ways that all of us to some degree are living, I don't care if you're brand new in the Lord or you've been a Christian for 60, 70 years. Pastor Rob Rates told us in first service, he's sitting right there. How old are you, Pastor Rob? 75, how long you been walking with Jesus? Sixty-eight years. 
And I don't mean to just single out Rob, Peggy. You're the more spiritual one we know much. <laughs> the reason I single out Rob is what I'm about to say. Rob confessed with us in first service that this is still a struggle for him. This is still a struggle. And so all of us, to some degree, and, and get this, guys, look at me close for a second. Tune in. We're going to close here in a moment. Some of the lies you're believing that either make you discontent or discouraged or prideful or arrogant, some of the things that are built in so deeply, I just think God wants to say to you this morning, who told you that? Where did you get that? 99% of the time, comparison. It's not from the Lord. Who told you you were supposed to look like that, whatever it is in your mind? Who told you your life was supposed to have the trajectory of whatever you're thinking? Who told you that you were supposed to be in a certain place by this age? Who told you that things were over? Who told you? Was it God? If it's not, forget it. Enter into new life. Lord, we give you thanks this morning for the invitation. It's, it's hard to make sense of why we let these things happen in our lives, Lord. And I weep for myself, for my own family, for our church, for so many that I have felt the pain and lived in the gut-wrenching misery of comparison and envy and, and the lies the enemy wants to use to crush people down, just absolutely obliterate them. Crushing weight, crushing expectation, crushing accusations that are not from you. So help us, Lord. Help every person here put those things in their place, down on the ground, under their feet. Lord, release us from the lies that, that we seem to so willingly want to believe from this trap. I pray freedom for every person in here in Jesus' name. I pray the better word spoken by the blood of Jesus, the beloved son, the beloved daughter of God made as a treasure in his image. No need to compare. No need to worry about another story. But secure, whole, following Jesus. That's my prayer for every person here. Church, with our eyes closed, our hearts before the Lord, if you're saying with me, Lord, I want a new way to live, I repent. Teach me to walk in your ways. Teach me to think the way you've called me to think, just lift up your hands. I'm not even gonna look around. It's between you and the Lord. This is you saying, I must follow Jesus. And just make it your declaration this morning. Say, I must follow you, Lord. I will follow you, Lord. Forgive me, Lord, for being so consumed with everything all around me. I come before you at your feet once again, and I say, I must follow you, Lord. Lead me in a better way. Lead me in the ways of truth. Thank you. Help me accept the truth that you sing over my life. Let me not be settled with anything less, any of these lies that the enemy has tried to drill into my heart. God, I lay myself before you and I say 
Yes, in Jesus' name. Um, before I pray this benediction, I wanted to say one last thing. Practically, having encounters with God about this is, is everything. You've got to meet with the Lord. You've got to let Him rewire you. Uh, but then you have to actually walk in it, right? So I find that I have to choose to walk away from the trap of comparison like every day. Anybody with me? Like every day, I just have to choose. So it's one thing to say, yes, God, restore my heart, do a miracle, but also I must choose. And so three quick examples from my life, literally just in the last two days. This is just, I'm embarrassed to even say these things, but we're gonna close with them. And I compare myself with other pastors because that's what I am. And by the way, you don't think of me like that because you're not a pastor and it just proves no one else is looking at your life, comparing you to whoever you're comparing yourself with because they're not thinking about you right? Only you are obsessed with thinking about you. Are you tracking with me? So when I'm obsessed with thinking about me, I'm comparing myself to other pastors or dads or whatever, husbands. And um, um, I've really learned to, to, anytime I feel a tinge of it, I intentionally celebrate. So one of my good friends is a pastor up in Clarksville, Life Point Church. We pray for Life Point today. They've grown from 80 to five or 6,000 people over the last 10 or 15 years that he's been there. Today, he, he texted me and a few others this morning celebrating, and we celebrate with them. They're baptizing almost 300 people today, just today, out in a river that they go to, and they do it once a year. And um, how amazing. I celebrate that. So I've been in, and you know, it's, it sounds so silly to get like jealous over baptism numbers, <laughs> but, but you bear with me. You could be as a pastor, be like, well, I'm not baptizing 300. What in the world is wrong with me? You like that kind of thinking. So rather than that comparison trap, can go the other way too. Look at this joker over here. He hasn't baptized someone in two years. I can be like, we baptized more than that. What's your problem? You see what I'm saying? Either way you lose. So I'm like, I celebrate, I celebrate, right? And then um, another friend of mine, a young church planner, this guy's only in his late 20s still, like I was in LA years ago. And we've supported him financially. I've been praying with him. It's called Way Church. It's in downtown Nashville. His name is Noah. And I've been celebrating him and, and uh, we've joined the team to kind of help them launch and um, God has so blessed this first stage of their team building that they are launching with three services today, which I was, at first I was like, dang, three services day one, but then I'm like, I celebrate. This is the kingdom of God, same team. So I sent him a big voice message prayer this morning. He probably won't hear it till later because he's busy all morning, but we're celebrating Way Church. And then one last one, uh, this is, isn't this embarrassing? But this is just real life, isn't it? One last one. I got asked to write an article for a ministry magazine a couple months ago I wrote about enduring health features our church, my family. I wrote all these words. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for it. I'm proud of it. I think it'll bless other people. I got the advanced copy this week in like a special box with all this stuff. It's going to be released this fall. And I didn't know this, but this other friend of mine who pastors in uh, North Carolina, he got asked to write for the same magazine and his article was picked as the feature article and his face is on the cover. So his face is like all over my office desk, like with this magazine. And, and his name is Mike Santiago. He's a friend of mine. And, uh, and celebrate. Anytime you feel a tinge, celebrate. I'm not joking. I had the thought this week, I'm going to put this magazine cover on my wall in my office because it has nothing about me and it has a picture of my friend, right? Now, here's the thing. When I handle that well, Mike is a friend and blesses me, right? He's a, he's a gift sent to me, not someone that I'm in any kind of weird comparison with. You guys track with me? So think about the practical things for you. What are your practicals? It doesn't mean don't work hard. Work hard, do your best, you know, run fast. That's fine. Do it, but, but don't get sucked into the trap. So I'm gonna pray this benediction over us.
uh, then we'll be dismissed. And oh, one last thing, I'll see you tonight. Five o'clock to seven o'clock, it's gonna be amazing. Man, the team, I mean, this was a glimpse. This was a glimpse into it. It's gonna be so fun. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Love you guys. Have a great rest of your day.